Welcome to another edition of San Joaquin Spotlight, a public affairs broadcast. We're airing on CMAC, Comcast, 93, and AT&T, 99. We're also airing in the Central Valley of California on Talk Radio, 1550, KXEX. And we're on Anchor FM. It started as Anchor FM, turned into a Spotify company on podcast. And our guest this week is going to be talking about something that a lot of people are talking about around the nation, including here in the state that we're both in, both from the same state, Matt DeBara. He is an industry expert with the contractor consultant. Sir, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. So first and foremost, let's get to know you a little bit. I mean, you have a unique niche that you found uh, as an expert in. Talk about yourself. Well, yeah, it wasn't by choice. My family's been contractors for four generations, uh, very much the blue-collar American dream. I'm wearing a blue collar today. I just noticed that. <laughs> that was unintentional. Um, but that was, that was they came here from Italy, and it passed down grandfather, father, uncle, myself, started when I was nine, fell in love with the industry, and I've seen a lot of shifts uh, in the way things are happening, uh, specifically in construction, but labor market in general. And I've been fortunate enough to have that old school uh, backing, right? And then and then grew in the industry. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of the long and short of it. So you're in Los Angeles. We're in Central Valley. I mean, I know that we're hearing, and you're the expert, so you might correct me here, but I know that we're hearing a lot of people leaving California. But as far as the Valley goes here, I mean, it's still, housing is hard to come by. Uh, rents are still expensive. Talk a little bit about the state of where we're at right now. California is a little bit unique. Uh, we've got that that beautiful weather tax, as some people call it, um, and and it, it attracts a, a broader base. Uh, the pandemic certainly shifted things a little bit, but as a whole, California is very attractive to outside outsiders, if you will. Um, and so we have inventory issues, as you touched on. Um, we obviously have rent issues in terms of price of rent, price of housing in general. So I think we're going to continue to see things shift where they go exactly with, with interest rates. It's going to be interesting, but with the labor shortage constructions, there, there's a direct need to increase inventory and we're going to see the effects of that. One of the things that I wanted to ask you about is the supply. I mean, I feel like the housing thing has several things that are causing it to be hurt interest rates like you mentioned but talk about the supplies i mean like i i was fixing my backyard fence the other day and i went to the lumber store a big number lumber store and i realized the prices went up since the last time i did a fence so talk a little bit about supplies and the increase there material costs are are, are going up for sure um and it, it's interesting what what happened if you've been in the industry more than 20 or 30 years Material costs are materials are very competitive. They're bid into projects, and so we've never we've never experienced a time where it was almost like an erasing of all of the standards. Like we're used to incremental block price raises. Like we get a uh, I get an email once a year, and it's like, hey, block prices have gone up, you know, one percent or one and a half percent or whatever the number is. Um, but what what happened with the the pandemic and everything is it kind of erased it, and it was like you got a chance to really look at the suppliers got a chance to look at what they wanted to charge. And I think we're seeing the effects of it now. The market's still kind of leveling out because people are still buying. I mean, I remember when plywood was hundred, more than $100 a sheet. 
and they were still selling. So it's it's that supply demand mechanism and the fact that it gave material suppliers a chance to say, hey, you know, we, we haven't really looked at our pricing structure in 20 or 30 years the way we wanted to. This is an opportunity to really adjust that. How does this impact the end user? And by end user, I'm going to say the newlywed couple or the, the family that says, I'm going to finally buy a home and get into that home. I mean, costs have got to be up. They're up and it's it's a tough, tough market right now. It's really difficult. What we're seeing a lot of is you have these new home buyers, and if you're if you're the mortgage broker, what they're hearing on the real estate side, their agent is they're saying, look, if you look at rates the last three or four months, they keep going up. So they're in this weird position now where it's like, I'm not gonna get that amazing rate that I got or the pre uh let's call it the the you know pre-price increase material costs that that were there and available. But at the same time, if you look forward, right, leading versus lagging indicators, the leading indicator is hey, look rates are continuing to go up. So you want to buy now. And that's a little bit of what's, I think, affecting our our inventory and how fast people are buying. It's it's stressful. It's difficult. And I don't envy anybody that has to make that decision right now. And that's a tough decision. I mean, we're facing it. So you're in Los Angeles. By the way, is that your home base, the Los Angeles area? And which part of L.A.? Yeah, so offices in Glendale. Uh, my yard is in is in Burbank uh, with some of the equipment we have. Um, so yeah, yeah, we've got our second office there. So yeah. So I'm gonna sidetrack here in this discussion. I was born in Glendale. I was just in Glendale, and our listeners, you know, several of them have told me that they too are from Glendale. So it's interesting that here we are talking about housing, and you're a housing expert in Glendale because I'll tell you. Glendale right now, you can't touch some of those properties. And I remember when I was nine years old or 10 years old, it was some somewhat affordable. But now you're looking at, especially in Glendale, talk a little bit about SoCal prices. It's interesting because we have a lot of clients in SoCal, specifically contractors. And uh, it it's interesting how many of them aren't from here or how many of them have jobs that are are considered highly uh desirable if you will probably a good way of putting it right and so it it affects pricing but what I, what we're seeing now is we're seeing that there's a market standard but the people buying aren't as confident as they once were in terms of the prices and it's an interesting time right now where it's like there's a there's a trajectory of an increase in in home value but and so there's no, as you go wider and wider, you look at Glendale and then you look outside of the surrounding area, you got, you know, Eagle Rock, Echo Park, and you keep going out. It's like, well, it's tough because if you're location specific, where do you go? You you try and chase the outer rings and it doesn't drop off until you're, you know, an hour and a half, two hours outside of, outside of where you want to be. And so here in Fresno, and I'm bouncing around a lot, but, you know, you keep, the conversation is going to go a direction that, you know, let's see where it goes, but here in Fresno, they've done something unique in that if you do an infill project, you get certain tax benefits and you get certain benefits to licensing and pricing. So if let's say, you know, you're in the business where you have contractors all, all along, there are a lot of people saying, you know what, I'm going to get into this business. I'm going to become a contractor and I want to do infill projects. 
what are some of the things that you would advise somebody who comes to you and says, hey, I want to get into this game? Because I imagine like everything else, right? It's not as easy. You know, we're not looking at rainbows and flowers in this industry. It's tough. I mean, we see the downstream effects of that. It's not that I wouldn't advise people to get in construction. I'm a blue collar. I'm a huge proponent of the trades. I'm a huge proponent of construction. I'm pro construction. Um, but it, there's, I think because the trades, the skilled trades have been undervalued for so long uh, relative to a doctor or a lawyer or some of the other uh, parallel paths you can take, um, I think some people, there's an easy, it's easy to underestimate how much goes into it. And we see that a lot on projects. We're seeing a lot of contractors saying, look, I'm not going to touch this project because clearly this isn't set up. The plans are it. And, and we're just, I, I think the industry as a whole needs to do a better job of preparing candidates coming in. It's it's 10, I mean, for, take masonry, for example. It could be eight to 10 years before you're a qualified bricklayer. Qualified meaning, you know, you're, you're considered journeyman. And so we, we underestimate the timeline that it takes to become good in a profession, not to mention expert, right? Where you've done it, you've seen it, you've, you've been through that multiple times. Um, you know, I was in a, uh, to talk about tangents, I was in a, a meeting with one of our clients and it was a pre-construction meeting and they were talking about how they were going to crane in this big piece of equipment. And they had a huge, there was a PowerPoint presentation and all these logistics. And, uh, and I remember, just quietly asking our client, I said, do they, have they figured out where they're going to drive the crane in? And he's like, what do you, what do you, he's like, yeah, I was thinking the same thing. He's like, should we bring this up? I'm like, I mean, you tell me, we're here to meet after about something else, but they hadn't figured out the access to get, everything was assumed that the crane was sitting there and it was like, this is how we're going to move things in logistics. It's a good example of that expert level um, that you get when you've been in the industry 20 years and there's a gap of those qualified people. And that's a great point that you bring up because you somehow, you know, I think about this all the time when it comes to people building pools. Like I look at some properties and someone says, I want to build a pool in my backyard. And I say, great. I love pools. I love swimming. But I'm like, how are you going to try to bring in the crane or whatever else is necessary to get this pool done? So logistics, I want you to talk about logistics a little bit. I mean, it takes a while. It's not as easy just because someone can is a good builder or can do handy projects around their house. Building a house is at a much different level, right? It's experience. It's it's that it's seasoned contractors. Just you know, you. I mean, I know because I've been in the business. Um, but there's a certain level of experience when you've seen something and you've done something so many times and, and versus those who, who enter it. And, and I wish there was a, a better path forward to mentorship. I mean, I really, I started at the bottom. I was nine years old and my first job was to pick up trash on the job site. And I, although I hated it as a little kid, it was, it was one of the best lessons. And I, I think that if we had more mentorship and more rank and file in construction, um, cause it is easy to skip the line. And that's what I call it. It's easy to go and become a licensed contractor. And then here you are doing projects. Um, but it's no fault of their own. I think it, it it stems from an outer view of, hey, well, you know, how hard could it be? And the other part here is, and I'm sure you've seen it. And if you haven't, let's address it a little bit is, you know, when you start a project and that project, I hear this all the time with my friends that develop historic properties, multi-level historic properties. You can start a project thinking it's going to cost X and it costs Y. I mean, isn't that normal with all these projects? 
Well, I, an experienced contractor, we call it seeing around corners. The experienced contractor is one who can say, hey, I don't need to bust through this wall to tell you there's mold or termites or wood rot. I can tell by the trim around the wood or the windows, rather, the wood trim around the windows. I can tell you right now. Or there, there's certain indicators. So it does happen. But uh, right now, where we're seeing that happen the most is due to the labor shortage, is the fact that I can't get enough of the right people on a project at the right phase. Um, the labor shortage is definitely uh, affecting schedules and ultimately costs. And let's talk about that right after I give the call ID numbers. You are listening to San Joaquin Spotlight, a public affairs broadcast airing on CMAC, Comcast 93 and AT&T 99. That's in the Fresno and Clovis area. You're also listening to the program on Talk Radio 1550 KXEX. That's in the AM dial in the Central Valley of California. And finally, we're worldwide on Anchor FM, Spotify uh, Median, on the, the San Joaquin Spotlight label. Our guest is Matt DiBara. He is a industry expert with the Contractor Consultants. Welcome back, Matt. Thank you. So I want to, I, I, I had a, I tell this story, I've told this story before where I had an uncle who retired, you know, and, and in the Southern California area as well, you know, retired and said, okay, I'm done working. And then came back and he's producing at a level much more higher than he was when he was working. And he says, you know, I wish I would have picked this industry a lot sooner in my career. I want to ask you about your thoughts on retired individuals and those who are entering second careers and your take on how that's going to help here. I think it's going to help a lot. I mean, the 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 amount of people, let's look at retirement in two frameworks. One is about 40% of the construction workforce right now is set to retire in the next decade. So you get a lot of people that are doing the once and for all retirement. We're done. Um, and so I think the second career, the second look for, there's so many uh, parallel careers that you could easily hop into construction with. And I think that's going to become a really exciting opportunity um, I'm keeping an eye on two things. One is the younger generation joining the, the skilled trades, which I think is fantastic. And I'm a big proponent of that. I'm involved heavily in Skills USA, an organization that I was a part of in high school. Um, and I think really helps foster that. And then the second part is the per parallel career jump. Um, you know, I have a friend of mine and uh, they work in telecommunications and they're a project manager and they manage vendors and uh, they were laid off and they ended up finding a career in construction it was the same thing. Instead of managing pole contractors and, and uh, uh, Fios cable installations, they're managing window subs and floor installers. And they couldn't believe that there was just such an easy parallel shift in a career that they enjoyed more. So I'm really looking forward to more of that. And I think we'll see more of that. You know, I was just talking about this before I hopped on to this interview, that people can't find workers. I mean, they just... They can't find workers. And it's an interesting predicament to be in because you see that there's so many people and so many jobs. It's like, wow, you know, how are these jobs getting unfilled in the construction industry? It sounds like you're seeing that as well. 80% right now, 80% of contractors say they're struggling to fill hourly craft positions, according to the uh, American Society, ASG, American Society of General Contractors. Um, there's 2 million middle skilled hourly craft positions that are unfilled right now in this country. So it's a huge gap and there's a lot of reasons as to why we got here, but the end result is we're seeing 
uh, a shift in so many different ways. Manufacturers are trying to make products that are that are able to be installed easier. You're finding um, companies trying to find ways to allocate labor better. Uh, but it's it's a it's a problem that's systemic, and I don't think it's going away anytime soon. And I also don't know that we're spending enough time focusing on how to actively solve it as a as a country. You know this because you're from Southern California, and when I look at the rents, especially in Glendale, Burbank, Pasadena, I'm like, whoa! You know how are how are newlywed couples couples or or those who just get out of school being able to afford this? But you know, I look. I compared that to where we are in Fresno, and we're cheaper, but Fresno Clovis is getting up there too because telecommuters, teleworkers, um, are coming here and using this as their base, and they're working with salaries they're making in Northern California. Now, I'm not criticizing that. I'm not saying anything negative either way, but my question is, how is this impacting affordable housing? Technology's disrupted it. I mean, especially now that we're more comfortable working remote, it definitely shifted our ability to have housing be more focused around the local economy. It's no longer as focused around the local economy. I mean, when you look back at what housing was 50, 60 years ago, it was like if you had a manufacturing facility, the housing supported that that pay rate. You know, you lit like it was literally, it was directly correlated to what types of jobs were there. And so you found this equilibrium. Now it's like you know, you could have local, the, the average medium income of somebody who's actually living in that area might be very, very low. But when you take all the people who live there and work, but are paid from jobs that they are completely remote, it might be in a different state or even in sometimes a different country. Um, it just offsets things so much. I, I want you to talk a little bit about nationally. I know we talked about California a lot, Southern Cal, middle of California, where I'm at nationally are we seeing the same thing and the reason i ask you this question is i was having a conversation the other day with somebody who was looking for housing in montana and i thought wonder i mean it can't be that hard to find housing in montana i mean unless you know there's thousands of people pouring in in fact it turns out there are people going to areas like montana which is beautiful by the way but they're having a housing shortage too and i thought wait a minute if we're having one in California and quote unquote people are leaving, then what are some of these other states dealing with? So are you seeing that? I mean, where are we as far as other states and the housing crisis? Well, we cut the cord between the lifestyle and the location. You can have a lifestyle of somebody who makes great money and works a tech job in the middle of Montana. And so there's no longer that direct correlation. Um, and so you've removed local industry and you being a part of that as a, as a productive employee, it's completely disconnected. So now somebody who works tech and says, I am on the computer eight, 10 hours a day. I want to walk outside and I just want to see lush, you know, just open air and nature can do that. And so you're finding these pockets. Montana is a big one. Uh, you're seeing it in Portland. Um, you're seeing it in, in, uh, all across the country. You're seeing it in the sunshine States where you have beaches there's now an ability to get the lifestyle we want totally independent of the career. And it's just, it's disrupting local markets. I mean, it's completely shifting the price structure and, and the, and, and the commerce, you know, cafes. And I was in uh, Idaho, I was in a small town in Idaho out of Boise and it was as trendy as LA. It was the, the cafes, the price of coffee, you know, and, and the locals are like, 
this was never like this, you know, six bucks for a cup of coffee. One, one woman said, she said, I never would have thought in my lifetime that she said, this feels like LA. And I'm like, yeah, it actually does. Very similar. And, and you know, I'm glad you went there. I was going to ask you about that. You know, you've been in this industry for generations, you know, uh, what do like your parents' generation, your grandparents' generation, the ones that are, have been in this industry, are they feeling the same thing? Like, wow, it never used to be like this before. They're definitely they're definitely kind of sitting back and saying, "Wow, where is this gonna where is this gonna play out next?" There's a lot of there's a lot of change, and I think ultimately change is good. It usually lends to a positive direction. We hope, right? I'm not running for office, so you know I keep a positive outlook. <laughs> um, but I I think that it, it's I mean, for example, like my my generation now, we're we're catching the beginning of AI as I'm kind of seasoned with my standard technology. And so I'm sure there'll be a time where I'm going to feel the same way in 30 or 40 years about some of the things that have happened. Well, and, and where do you see this going? So like, I mean, what, I know it's hard to tell, nobody has this crystal ball, but where do you see this going? I mean, when you're looking at construction costs, labor shortages, some people say the housing market's going to collapse. Don't buy, wait till it collapses. It's an interesting because the first time the housing, not the first time, but the last time the housing market collapsed, it was on loans that were made to a lot of people with zero interest. This didn't happen like that. So in your industry, are they foreseeing a, a, a housing collapse too? I mean, what do you tell people when they ask you that question? That's a tough one. I talk to a lot of a lot of clients and friends that I that I have that are that are in this this world, the financial world, a lot more than I am, at least on that side of things. And there's a mixed sentiment, but if you follow some of the money, you have a lot of mega financial institutions buying homes right now. Um, you know, you got BlackRock, you got all these these institutions that are that are buying single family homes and rolling them up into these, uh, you know, and, and basically uh, as stocks essentially. Um, and so I think that we're going to continue to see home values as uh, as a as a solid investment, and I think that. It's not going to shift because there's nothing right now that can replace that. There's there's a there's a certain art there's a backbone an economic backbone in the fact that homes have been stable and a good investment. And the question is, if you remove that, what do we have? What's left for people to to have as an asset to grow their financial uh, freedom? I mean, there, if if we and I think we will become more of a renter nation, um, and especially with with the younger generation, but. I just can't see removing that and then figuring out where the economic stability comes from. Let's shift gears here in the few moments that we have left. Going back to construction and, and what are some common mistakes people make? I mean, what are some things that, what advice would you have on people to avoid, whether it's mistakes or looking through misconceptions or even not paying attention to certain details. What are some things that you would give advice to our audience members? On? I love this question. I'm so glad you asked. Um, so finding when you're, when you're finding a contractor, we see a couple common mistakes. Number one is I paid them a lot up front. So California as a state thousand dollars or 10%, whatever's less is the deposit, unless there's some special material that you need. Um, so overpaying, um, not tying payment schedule to an inspection. So if there's permits, tying it to not, I completed my framing, but framing inspections complete. Those are two very different things. Contractor fills an inspection and then demands payment and you now owe it. 
Um, gosh, there's a lot. Making sure the the scope is really clear. We we have I have something that I teach called the friend test. Basically, you take the scope of work and you give it to a friend of yours who's not a construction expert. Have them read it and then describe the work being done back to you. You'll find all sorts of silly things like, hey, I noticed they took out the toilet, but they didn't say they were going to put it back. And you go, oh yeah, well they told me that. It must not have not made its way in there. So it really around clarity of payment and clarity of scope are the two big needle movers. Those are so interesting and, and you're right i mean i've seen these contracts where it says remove the toilet and then you're like wait but does that mean they're putting a new one in or am i responsible to put the new one in so those are two very good points that you bring up what are some final thoughts from you i mean you know where do you see this we're going in the next 10 years or so I think we're in the best time in history. I'm an optimist, but I think we are. I think we've got the shift with with AI. I think we we're coming off of a uh, a time where where we had a big reset in in society, and we're gonna find that it's gonna open up a lot of new opportunities. This is a this is a milestone. I mean, when you look at the '50s and the muscle car movement and the the drive, I mean, we've had these milestones, and then the 2000s was all about the dot com and the tech. We have this this emergence now of artificial intelligence with this kind of shift into the grassroots of construction and the labor shortage. And so we're splitting now even more. It's like this big push to fill trade tech jobs, but also to fill some of these highly new, highly skilled jobs that artificial intelligence will create. So I think it's a new beginning. And if, if we stay positive and optimistic, there's nothing but uh, good things ahead. On that note, excellent way to end the interview. Thank you to our audience members listening to our broadcast on Talk Radio 1550 KXEX in Central Valley of California. Thank you to those watching on CMAC, Comcast 93, and AT&T 99 in the Fresno and Clovis area. And thank you to those listening on Anchor FM. I'm your host, Sevag Tatiosi, and our guest this week has been a housing industry expert from the contractor consultants, Matt DiBara. Matt, thanks for joining us today. Thank you again. That's all for this edition. Tune in next week to a new edition. This program was made possible in part by FaceLogic Essential Skin Care and Spa in Clovis.